everybody. It's Matt Robinson, and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I am the enthusiastic gamer, Matthew Robinson, back on the ones and twos with you as always. Joining me today, Trey Alsop. Hey, Matt. I'm happy you're doing an accent just like Tom. Thank you so much. But beyond the excitement of having Trey here, this is a we have a new we have a new member. We have a new host. It's exciting. This is exciting. We are adding a brand new member to the podcast. Um, a co-host. Please welcome Charlie Kirk. <laughs> Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine? Okay. Just throw in like the weirdest, like alt-right, hardcore. Like, All right, do do a proper intro. <laughs> uh, no, we have had a we, we have we've had some new people coming to game nights recently. New uh, blood, and uh, one, one of the best we've had. Well, I'll just say the best uh, <laughs> is Jordan Saya. Uh, we are so happy to have you here. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you very much. Excited to be here, and uh, thanks for calling me the best. Appreciate that. Jordan is a very enthusiastic board gamer and hobbyist. Uh, he, he reminds me of myself a lot in the sense that he uh, goes deep uh, and really likes a large breadth of games. It's rare I can find a game that Jordan isn't into. I'm curious about Flesh and Blood. Hey, Jordan, you play that? Oh, not only have I played it, I own like thousands of dollars worth of cards and it's like half my life. Hey, Jordan, have you tried this really heavy Euro? Not only do I own it, I've played it 37 times. Like Jordan is just like in, he knows what's going on. He's plugged into the hobby. And, uh, and we, we need more players like that and less like me. That's right. People right. who are enthusiastic and excited about the hobby, open to new a ideas. A pleasure to be around. around. <laughs> right. Open-minded. Yeah, can teach games. Down to play whatever. Bathes. Yeah, bathes. Uh, yeah, so it, it's very exciting to have you here, Jordan. You have a, a large, what I'm trying to say is you have a, a breadth of knowledge about the, the, the hobby. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, you're not. And I bathe. You're not an old fart like the rest of us. You're a, you're a young whippersnapper. You're a young fart. You're, you're fr- fresh Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Jordan? Yeah, tell us. Introduce tell us, yourself. Tell us your history with the hobby. And yeah. also, let's build up to the moment where you r- reveal your host because we don't know okay yeah it has not yeah, been we're saving this live live for air we're really building it up yeah so my history with the hobby i started playing board games when i was i don't know in high school i guess in college i put a lot of Catan, and then after college i got into heavier and heavier games just got in on the first kickstarter wave so scythe tricarion some of those early yes. kickstarter games yes really speaking, played speaking matt's language here there you go yeah really played a lot of euros for a long time almost exclusively euros like re- getting heavier and heavier lacerda and mind clash and stuff like that and recently over the last two or three years i've been trying to explore a broader set of games um so team-based card games for instance but also 18xx and um competitive card duelers all sorts of games trick-taking games full nerd we're full nerd were full you nerd. The, really delved in in your college group were you the one who brought in Catan, or were you, or were you introduced to Catan? no i played Catan in high school but there was a uh some people who lived beneath me in my like, my building like sophomore and junior year of college who played Catan before me and they played every day and so we would go we'd play Catan, we'd have it all set up it would take us maybe like 30 minutes to play a game sometimes we'd set up the board Say, oh, Blue's going to win this game, and just call it right there. And then, <laughs> right, that's... we played so much of it. Yeah. Um, today we are going to be. Well, I'm going to. I'm going to get to your name in a second. Yeah, but yeah, today yeah. we are going to be talking about War of the Ring, the card game, a new hot team-based card game that is uh, not a collectible card, right? Not a living card game. 
not a trading card game, but a complete game, a complete game. You just buy and can play. And I, th- I think it's a great first episode for Jordan to come in because Jordan, in a lot of ways, enjoys all types of games. And I think this is a game that appeals to people who really like card games, who really like board games, who really like a, a, a wider breadth than just euros, who like thematic games, who like heavy strategic games as well. So I think this is a great first game for Jordan because this is a game that would speak to sort of an omni-gamer, some, somebody who likes a large uh, range of different styles of games. Yeah, I agree with that. It's a, it's a great game to also broaden your horizons a little bit, but we'll talk more about that later. Totally. I'll also point out that uh, with Alfred gone, we have replaced the rules lawyer yes. with an actual lawyer. Oh, is that name available? I just assumed it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So Jordan uh, is an, an actual lawyer. Uh, a real true to life. Lawyer. And that's all you want to mention about that, right? Yeah, that's it. For okay. Her. Yeah. <laughs> Dimitri's also a lawyer. That's true. Yes. I'm not saying he's not our first lawyer. I did say actual lawyer. You did. Oof. But yeah, in terms of that, that's not Dimitri's daily job. No, it's this not. is Jordan's daily job. They both have their law degrees. They both are, uh, you know, past the bar and all that. But this is Jordan's daily life. Dimitri is a writer. That's true. Yes. I think you'd agree with that. Yes. I think we're speaking out of turn. And I'm not just elbowing Dimitri because yeah. I can elbow Dimitri. Yeah. Tell us your name, Jordan. You're, so everybody on the podcast, we have our own little name. I am the enthusiastic gamer. Trey is the game designer. <laughs> Paul is the game breaker. What it's are true. you, Jordan Saya? So I, I would have been the rules lawyer, I think. But I'm going to stick with my original pick, which is the experience gamer. Oh. And I'm going to use that in two experience ways. Experience or experienced? experience no d at the end no d yes love it no d for me uh the experience gamer because a i want to play games that create a new experience something that doesn't just bring the old brown euro back to the table and also because i want games that require you to gain experience in them to develop a meta and to really get good at them i think so those are some of the most interesting games and uh those are the types of games i want to explore more i love it Ex- I like it. I like yeah, it. Yeah, that's a really good one. The experience, or maybe the experience. And also, like you, you are a experiential might be the experiential better, yeah. gamer. Yeah, we're starting to get a little academic there, but you're a, you are a big blood on the clock tower fan, and that's kind of that's an experience. Yep, it's an experience, and it also gets better the more experienced you get. You, I've heard that right. from people. Right. You are as interested in the first play as you are in the sixtieth. That's right, and you really enjoy games that give you a great of both. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, actually, that's actually not true. I think I'm really happy to play a game that gives you a terrible first play. Sure. If it's going to well, you give have you to be an incredible to 60th play. Oh, yeah. I like that. Too. Right. And because we play games. Like Agricola. <laughs> like, like I, I had a great first play of Agricola. I, I loved it miserable. from the start. I loved it from it. the start. <laughs> I hated it. Now it's my favorite game of all time. Yeah. Well, you learn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of games are built now to just draw you in on that first play and yeah, have a great just, first play. Yeah, or have a you're first only going to play it three a few times. plays. Yeah. And right. Then never care about it again. Exactly. So I want to try and avoid those to the extent possible. I love it. Well, like I said, today we're going to be reviewing War of the Ring, the card game. Uh, but before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about what we've been playing lately. I'm going to hit you with a box fart. <laughs> there we go. Trey, <laughs> <laughs> tell me a little bit about your gaming week. Well, we played on Tuesday. That's right. Um, we were planning on playing some War of the Ring, but then the numbers didn't work out. Yeah, War of the Ring is one of those rare must-be-four games, of which those are, could often be a real game night spoiler, because you're planning on having eight, you're figuring two fours. Eight RCP'd, but... Next thing you know, you've got six. 
As was play, Tuesday, yeah. Can't play a four and a two, because that's weird. So uh, you ain't playing the four-player-only <laughs> game on the six nights. I mean, I think a four and a two is possible if you have some people that are, like, dying to play... Like Flesh and Blood or something, or, like, they're super into a card game together. Right, know. Fields of Arl yeah. or Levy Twilight and Struggle or something. I mean, we did recently get the new Uva... Uh, or Yenberger Canal, which is two player only, and 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 even I remember Elder was like, "I'll play that." <laughs> yeah, Elder was ready. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, no, it could happen. It's just but anyway, that's what that's what happened. Then it's like we yeah. we wanted to do something with six, so that it's there were either three and three, or we went we went for the full six. Three and three is usually great. I usually love a three and three, but we we are currently trying to get many reps in on this. So instead, well, what we, happened? There? Did you were, you wanted to play Age of Steam, right? Or or yeah, that, well, we just got the new maps, and so I we got new maps. A good option for yeah. all six of us. Yeah, so Eagle Griffin, uh, you know, about six months ago or a couple months ago, uh, released you know the next two box expansions for it, and they actually have a Kickstarter, excuse me, right now for I think the next two boxes, which is like eight or nine more maps. Um, and so we pulled out a six-player map, and we were going to pull out one of the, the the stranger ones or a little more MacGuffin-y, complicated. We were going to play Paris, right? Going to play France. We're yeah. looking at southern China. We're looking at a couple, and they. Then we realized Elder, who I think has as an experienced as gamer, much or maybe more experienced than anybody at the table, had yes. never played Age of Steam, and yeah. we we're like, well, then we we just have to play like Western USA or just sort of you know a more mm-hmm. basic first player game. And I think six player is actually a good first Age of Steam because it shows you you get to see different play styles. It could it could be over really quick, which is nice. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we pulled out. Right, that's what we determined about six players. Like, it seems like that might be really long, but it gets compressed. Odds and of it, bankruptcy. And it higher. might actually be over after just three rounds where right. you can kind of call it. Right. Which yeah. is what happened here. Right. Somebody can get so far ahead. Or somebody, somebody can. Or somebody can get bankrupt Someone. when the game is over. So we played Western U.S. And I adore Age of Steam. I love it. And, and it was one of my, sort of what we're talking about, one of my worst first plays to best 60th played games Yeah, it's a great ever. example of that. Loathed it the first time I played it. First of all, it was, I thought it was extremely ugly. I was very new to the hobby. This was probably right. one of the first games Tom introduced me to when I mm-hmm. was, you know, 12, 13 years ago. And he goes, oh, you got to try it. Just you got to try it. And it was just like, he brings out this bland, ugly, it looks like, I mean, it just it's looks just like. It's a big hex grid. Yeah. There's an, And there's no theme to it. There's no, and it's super complicated. And, and everybody had been playing it for 10 years and was super good at it. And it was just like, it, it was, it was horrible. And it's nice that you think that we're super good at it. You, you guys are. I mean, we were more experienced than you. That's all. And this is a game where experience is just misery for everybody else. The more, the more you played, the less fun everyone else has. Yeah. Very hard. It to is win not a forgiving game. game. No. Um, and, and that's, that's a, that's one of the best things about it. If, if you're into that. And so I actually had a miserable night playing it with you guys a few nights ago, which often happens with Age of Steam. And it was sort of ironically something that Elder and I were talking about. It was like, cause he had never played it before. Right. And he was like, this sucks. Like I, this is painful. But then at the end he goes, but I really want to get better at this. I really don't, I really feel it's my fault that I didn't do better. And like, I'm, I want to, I want, I don't want this game to beat me. And Age of Steam sort of has that thing with me where it's like, I was miserable. Halfway through the game, I just realized I had made massive mistakes and was dead. And just like, your it, your first move had created lots of opportunities for other people. Many, yeah, I just I just opened up the floodgates for everybody, and then I just got way behind the curve. Um, and yeah, it was it was it, like it, it is a misery generator. But for some reason, I ended it being like, God, I hope we pull this out next week again because mm-hmm. like, I just want to get better at it, and not because like I want to win, but because 
I enjoy the puzzle it puts before you and the interactivity that it has at the table. And I, I, I really look forward to that time where I feel proud of myself for actually like rising to the challenge as opposed to, you know, drowning in the misery of Age of Steam. Yeah, victory in Age of Steam feels better than almost anything. <laughs> you're, uh, you know, you're putting your head against someone else's head and the rules really get out of the way. Yeah. And it's just, you know, how far ahead can you think? How can you make this board state work for you? It's an endlessly enjoyable puzzle. Yeah, we almost like there's probably a word for this of like games where you have like you have first time playing it where you're scratching the surface and there's some deeper lessons to be learned, of course, that can only be learned from experience and repetition. You know, uh, Age of Steam is one of those. War of the Ring card game might be certainly one of those. Like, getting card card knowledge becomes uh, really important. But there is also, like, especially with Age of Steam, there's the that moment when we've done the setup, mm-hmm. and you really do need to sit and yeah. stare. Everyone just has to shut up at the board for board. some minutes, yeah. and it's not just even the board. It's not even just the cubes that are on the board. You're actually looking at the, here are the cubes that are going to come out, and there's about, what, 30 or 40 that are in reserve, but you can see, oh, this particular city is going to generate a lot of yellow. Right. It doesn't look good now, but round three, that thing could be popping. I'm going to have, right. Like, I'm not going to, these are going to be four or five point deliveries later on in the game if I can make that happen. And, like, that's a a lot to grok. And then it's you, certainly you can't do it in your first game, right. but later on you should be looking and saying like, okay, there's some opportunities here. And you didn't even mention the auction math you have to be doing every time. It's like, okay, how many shares am I going to take? How much money am I going to spend? How am I going to get as close to having $0 at the end after I pay my, so I'm not taking extra loans I don't need to be taking. That's like actual real math you have to yeah, be there's doing There's some serious accounting yeah. in this game. And if you are off, you may end the game. The <laughs> like, game is over. The game might be over if yeah. you are off on one share. Yeah, it can be brutal. But I think your point about looking at the board at the beginning is especially important because as an experienced player, you want to be planning your fours and fives from the beginning. Like, how am I going to deliver five on this map? Right. And that's going to dictate my first move. And that's thinking that's a good so way far ahead. And I even need, then, I there was start thinking like that. <laughs> there was the stuff that I was thinking about, but then like Matt, you you opened the game, you won the first auction, you played an urbanization, yeah. and you placed a city kind of like in the center of the board, which changed like all the calculus that I was yeah, I was thinking change. of because like I had been budgeting to go west, then other players went west before me, and I ended up like taking the thing that I thought was kind of like the low hanging fruit as the fourth player. Right. But even, even so, like for all the planning we did, your opening move, I think changed the landscape of the board tremendously. And, and I pivoted and I think that's really interesting also is that it's not just like you see the whole board and you know how it's going to play. You can't plan ahead too much, but you, you have to, you have to have a plan. But then you have to also be ready to just completely be tactical. And that's a tougher thing that also comes with experience is actually like budgeting for flexibility. Yeah. You know that, and that's, that's tough, yeah. but you got to be ready as things happen because there's a ton of races in that right. game. Oh, yeah. And right. every phase of the game, there are three ways that you can lose what you wanted to do, whether it's you don't get first build, you don't get first move, you don't get to go first, you don't, you know, somebody jumps ahead of you Someone in the steals passing your cube. order. Yes, Exa- yeah. Like every, at every moment, there's like three different people that are always about to stab you in the back. So this is like on the inter- interactivity scale, yeah. like forget weight, but just on the interactivity scale, this is really high. I'm Even not though it's sure not a many combat games game. that are more interactive. I mean, yeah, like with, without actually, you know, like troops on a map where you're killing each other, like this feels incredibly interactive. Oh yeah. 
Big time. Yeah, yeah definitely. Which is why we keep coming back to it. Yeah, it's why everybody's been playing it for since it came out in whatever, 2003 or something. Yeah, 20 years. We also played... We're kind of like we're still running up to Matt's tease of like trick-taking games that are coming up, but we played a bunch of card games also on yeah. Tuesday. So I've been getting very into what's funny is I'm I was sort of always the anti-filler. I've and and Right. You want to get to the serious stuff. Right. Well, some yeah, I, I just I'm a person with limited game time and I can only game maybe one night a week if I'm You lucky. have a life. Well, I have children, which right. is That's what different than a life. It's just I have I have other lives than my own. <laughs> and they uh, they dictate my amount of gaming I get. And so often I come to game night and I'm like, I have a three hour game I want to play. It's eight o'clock. There's a forty five minute teach. Get those fillers out of my face. Right. Like, I am I this is my only night, you guys. Like, don't mess <laughs> get with me. Get Avalon out of here. And yeah, I'll, we're gonna do a whole episode about trick taking and, and card games in general that I've gotten into. But yeah, I've I've had this renaissance, as many people are saying, is happening in the hobby as well, this trick taking renaissance. And I fell in love with trick taking games because of Jordan and David, a uh, friend of the podcast, David Gillison, who both friend David Gillison. Friend David Gillison, who both got me super into trick taking games by introducing me to a couple at the end of a game night at Tom's like a month or two ago. And as I am wont to do, I went way too deep down the rabbit hole and right. uh, got real into it. And uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll explore that in an episode. I'm going to take you through my whole trick-taking journey. Probably not next week, but the week after is what I'm looking at. Uh, so two weeks from now, we'll be doing a whole episode on that. I'll tell you all about my journey from noob to obsessive in the trick-taking world. And so at Game Night lately, I've been pulling out a few of these quick card games. Some are trick-takers, some are not. And we've been playing them before. On Tuesday, we played two non-trick-takers to begin with, and then we ended the night with a trick-taker. We played a game. Uh, these are both... Uh, uh, Japanese games. Uh, the first one is called Nana, which is, I think is really, really fun and interesting. It's about 10 minutes long and it is sort of a memory game. It's not sort of a memory game. It is a memory game, um, which when you read the rules, you think this isn't a game. Like it's almost like the mind and it's like, what is the game here? And then within a few hands of it, I feel like you're like, Oh no, there's actually a, some pretty cool decisions. Well, tell people how it plays. So everybody has a hand of cards. Uh, they range from, I think, 1 to 13, something like that, 1 to 12. Um, and uh, 1 to 12, right. And uh, you have a random set of cards in your hand, and you have to organize them from lowest to highest, and you can't change that order. Right. So you, you get your hands, you organize it, and then you also have a certain number of face-down cards in the middle of the table. So everybody's got a hand that, that has to go from low to high. They've got some face-down cards. And on your turn, you're doing simple. all you're doing is revealing your lowest card or your highest card, asking somebody to reveal their lowest or highest card, or flipping up one of the face-down cards on the table. Your turn is over when you have not made a match. So I say to myself, or I say, let's say I say to Jordan, Jordan, show me your highest card. Jordan shows me an 11. I go, woohoo. I then go, I reveal my highest card, which is an 11 because I, it was my highest card. And I go, now I've made a pair. Now I need to get one more to get trips. And then I flip and over. trips is how you take. Trips is how you, you score. Yep. So then I flip over a random card from the middle of the table to seven. My turn ends. But now I know where two of the 11s are. But now everyone knows where two of the 11s are in the game because everyone's seen them. And then it's Dimitri's turn. And Dimitri goes, I reveal my highest card. It's an 11. Matt, reveal your highest card. Jordan, reveal his card. Dimitri has scored the first trips. There are three of each card in the game. So all the 11s are now out. Dimitri must now score two more trips to win the game. So three sets of three to win the game. Or his two sets have to equal seven. So if he has a 12, he now needs trips of five. So it's 12 minus five is seven. Then he would instantly win the game. 
Um, you can add or subtract to get to seven. Either way, it doesn't matter. You just have to hit seven on your two. Or if you get the trips of seven, you instantly win the game. Which is hard because they're in the middle of your hand. Because they're in the middle of your hand. and you Which I almost did. You, the game hadn't ended right before my turn. Yeah, right. And that's the fun of it. Close. Is like if you could, you could open the game with three sevens in your hand and not win because you can't reveal those until you get rid of your lowest or your highest cards. Uh, and that's a really you fun You have to kind of get to them, right? You, have to, you want other people so to this take is like your trips. Sophisticated go fish. It, 100%. Right. Yeah, 100%. It's very go fish feeling. Um, it also has some of the most beautiful card art I've ever seen. Sai Beppu, who is a uh, female Japanese artist who is incredible. And the minute you see Sai's artwork, you will start collecting her games, as many people do. And I am one of them now. Um, Kaya Miyano is the designer of it. It was sort of like a huge hit in the Japanese market and has not really come here yet. Somebody's going to pick it up and it'll become like the new love letter. I think, I think it just has potential to be one of those like played fast, very fast. It feels like love letter. And a lot of people, well, we only like run around the table twice in that game or yeah. something like that. Or is... it's really fun right now. It's, it's something you have to import from Japan. Um, but it's awesome. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a nice trifle. It's a nice, yeah, yeah exactly. Exa like, it, I, like I almost enjoy it more than love letter just because it actually creates, I think even more laughs than love letter can make because you get those things where somebody's like forgot where the 11 was Trey, and, right, and right. they say, so, and everybody else knows that they forgot. And now everybody else, right, knows there was a moment like that where someone, where someone confidently picked up the card from the center right. of the table to make their third 11. Right. And it wasn't right. It's, it was, I think I did that. I think uh, it was you too. Yeah. It was, uh, there are, it is a memory game. But it's a silly memory. It's not like, like if you forget, it's funny. It's not really that painful. Right. It's not it's like that's not a hat. That's not a hat <laughs> is great. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> uh, we then played another uh, Japanese game. These are often referred to as the, uh, the um, Tokyo Game Market TGM games, which is sort of the essence of Tokyo or Japan. Sorry, that happens uh, every year. And that's where all these games come out. And so there's another game uh, from Oink Games, who is sort of known for uh, having a lot of really small box games. An artist goes to, what's that game called? An artist goes to Paris or New something. York, right? An artist goes to New York is yeah. their big one. Uh, they picked up the American version of Scout, or not the American, that's actually the Japanese version. There's just another version. Um, but Oink Games makes these little tiny, beautiful boxes. And they have a great game called Startups, which is also, I think, a really great uh, sort of filler game that is a stock market card set making game that's um, the theme at least designed yeah. by june sasaki really simple something you could teach to anybody in five minutes but instantly engages people because it's just a very simple playing cards from your hand that becomes stocks in simple companies in mechanisms but like deep emergent <laughs> decisions yeah. that kind of blow your mind right. as you progress the only right. person who scores each company is the person who has the most stock at the end and everybody else has to pay them for every stock they have so it's this weird race and so you might think you're playing this as like well i just won't take any stocks of companies i'm losing at right but you can't <laughs> but right. you can't avoid you can't. it <laughs> and that's also it's that one's a little that one's clearly a lot more strategic and, and gamey than Nana and can be played, I think, at a, at a fun, sort of sophisticated level. But yeah, it's also, I, I'm loving this game. Can, I'm, I'm bad at it, Yeah, I'm but horrible. I'm completely intrigued by this game. Yeah, it's yeah. very, uh, it's also can just be fun and silly and like, because you, I mean, the, the fun part of the game is you have a hidden hand of three cards at all times, so you never really know if you're winning a company because you, I mean, you can know if you're that far ahead, but for the most part, like, there's the fun gamesmanship as the game is over. Okay, everybody reveal their hand, and I own nothing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That happens at the end a lot of times. It's like, I think I might be winning this. You reveal your hand. It's yeah. like, oh, I'm wrecked. Yeah. yeah. I 
did so poorly here. I'm deeply negative. Um, yeah, which, yeah, in that way, it feels kind of like Baby Arboretum, where you have this secret hand of cards, mm-hmm. and you're hoping the score. Which you, totally, what you you're got. really good at, at finding the comps for these games. It, <laughs> it is a super arboretum-y game, just like Nana. What was the Nana comp you had? Well, I think that was Trey's, but you oh. said Go Fish. Oh, yeah, yeah, And I yeah, think yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But with this game, you know, it's nice because you can play it with six instead of Arboretum's mm-hmm. really like two to three player type uh, type level. But... Uh, it really allows you to uh, to have that sort of arboretum feel with a, a bigger sort of party game atmosphere. Yeah. There's, uh, there's a nice thing also when, um, because cards are constantly being played to like the market in the center, a lot of times a player across the table from you will play a card and you're like, ooh, if that gets to me, that's yeah. really going to make it. And then it doesn't get to you. But it, what, it, what it means though is like you are hanging on every single player's play. Yeah, You're not, you're never checking out. You're, you are should be tracking, yeah. especially because you see people take things. There's a memory aspect of what cards are people holding because that's your like secret stock portfolio that can win or lose these stock competitions. Right. So it didn't feel especially memory ish, but I think like if you were playing it well, you you'd be like, oh, I know, yeah. I know Matt's three cards. And you know? of the of the like Tokyo Game Market games, th- this is a big one. Like Shut Up and Sit Down already gave this a glowing review in the last couple of years, and you know there's a, this is definitely a popular one in that world. And actually, this one I think I picked up on Amazon. This one's actually not that hard to get. But um, and then we ended the night with a uh, with a game from Cosmos, who in the trick taking world is very well known for releasing the Crew, which is sort of the the game that in many ways kicked off this trick chick digging renaissance that the hobby the is trick going through stick. the trick stick inside job is incredible i'm just going to stop you right now if you like trick taking games just go spend 20 dollars on amazon right now don't even listen to the rest of this yeah this is a this is a top 10 trick taking game of all time i agree and like it blew it's an avalon my, alternative this is yeah. trick taking meets avalon and it we like there's there's times in this hobby where you bring a game to the table that you never played before but that you think is going to be good and you watch as you realize that it sucks. <laughs> and that, right. And that happens a lot. There are times you bring games to the table you think is good, and it's much better, and everybody's looking around like, wait, are we going to be playing this for the rest of our lives? And like, we kind of had that experience with Inside Job. It we'll, is, we'll see, but yeah, I yeah. think this is this will rival Avalon for being like the, the first game type of thing. Yeah. And to me, it did, Jordan, because I know you're a huge fan of Blood of the Clock Tower, like it did what... Blood, what I wanted Blood, Blood of the Clock, Clock Tower to do. Right. Like, maybe this is my fault is the expectations I have and my disappointment with Blood on the Clock Tower. Like, this is obviously a much more streamlined, shorter, but yeah. it did, but it, it does hit that kind of hidden, yeah. hidden role. Who are you? Why are you doing this? People were making certain plays and we're just like, oh, you're totally bad. Let me give, does, the, let me yeah. give the elevator pitch for sure. it real quick. So this trick-taking, just straight up trick-taking game. Everybody plays a card, highest card, highest lead card of the suit wins, trump cards beat everything. Um, and at the beginning of the game, much like Avalon's, everybody's given a role and there's a basic game you can play, which is just like three good guys and a spy. The spy though doesn't have to follow any of the rules, can play anything from they their hands. Lie. They can just lie and play any card they want. At the beginning of every round, the first player sees two missions, which are very crewish, and like, first player must win this trick, or third player must do this. And These cards must be played in order. Right, the good guys win if they get a certain amount of missions. The bad guys win if they get a certain amount of briefcases or intel, which is sort of the resource in the game. The bad guy wins immediately if they get in a certain amount. Right, and you get those when you win a trick. You get those when you win a trick. So just by winning a trick, everybody wants to win a trick because it's good. This intel can be used for other things. But also, you don't want anyone to get too many because then they win immediately. But also, the bad guy can just tank missions, but then... 
you can't help but take missions sometimes because it's a trick-taking game and you don't have the color to now I have to play my highest purple and I didn't mean to win it, guys. And everybody's going, you're definitely the spy. And it's just my hand. You're just having, it's just, you're, yeah. you're off to the races. You know it's so good. There's even a thing of like with the suitcases because playing a suitcase or Intel allows you to turn a card into a trump. There's times where if you have a high confidence that a player behind you is actually on your team, like you can use that power being like, it's okay if I don't get this intel because Matt's going to get it and I know Matt's good. In, in some, so like I think as we yeah. play it more, you'll see more of that. I'm playing intel in order to m- make things happen, but I, I have to kind of like correctly guess your yeah. role in order to do it. Right, because if you put an intel on a card to turn your card into a trump, whoever wins that trick gets that intel plus one. And then so the game comes with a bunch of just regular good guys and yeah. just like Avalon, you get your basics, right. your basic reds, and then your bad guy. And then we're starting to fold in And then it comes the with like rolls. 10 rolls, new yeah. rolls that get crazy, like neutral rolls that will switch Which is sides. the blood of the clock tower thing. Sure, sure, right. sure. Yeah. And then okay, you don't, you don't like my comparison well, at all. Well, I don't like you insulting blood on the clock tower to start. <laughs> Fair. But sure. I do think that this game creates but we're the talking sort about of this. meta yeah. game that, yes. uh, you know, that allows you to really read into players' moves. And we'll play in 15 minutes. And we'll play very I think this. I think this is... It really like in the running for game of the year kind of vibes. Like, I mean, it's, it's just awesome. Like just how the crew was like, Oh my God, how did nobody make, this is so fun. Like I, this is addictively fun. I, I got the same feeling from inside job. It's yeah. amazing. I think I like it a lot better than the crew. Actually. Yeah, I do. Oh, wow. But I it's, this need, is more my kind of game. You yeah. Need yeah. Five players. Exactly. Right. Cause it's three to five. And yeah, no, but, but but it scales pretty well because there's just less missions and less intel that are needed. Um, I think, yeah, obviously. I think, I think you're right. That like five is going to be the way to I think it sings at four or five, but I'd be very okay. interested to try it at three. Sure. Be interesting to see. I mean, it's fast. You, like, you, play, you play a whole round in 10 minutes. Right. It's very quick. It's yeah. Very quick. And then you can just play best of three or, you know, whatever you want to do. It's, it's, it's pretty it's pretty great. It's pretty special. Yeah. Um, We're excited. We'll hopefully the, the depth that seems to be there will continue to kind of emerge. Yes, yeah. definitely. More yeah, than we, any other game, you can see someone play a card and think, you know, it was a great experience. Why. It was a great experience and we'll gain more experience and get better. Well, we just hit the 30 minute mark. I love this, the, the synchronicity of the timing here. We've ended our preamble. <laughs> we're, we're past the nonsense. Yeah. Uh, this is when the ad buyers tell us we have to start our review. Uh, so we will go ahead and jump into our review of War of the Ring, the card game. Now, what in God's name is this thing? Why are we playing the card game version of a beloved, famous two player board game that takes four to five hours and is wildly complicated? First of all, before we get into it, has anybody played War of the Ring, the board game? I have. Have you played it? Of course, it Jordan has. I think I did, but it was quite a while ago. Or is that how old is, is War of the Ring? Could I be confusing it with another maybe? Lord of the Rings themed play across the map game? No, this is the big one. Uh, 2004 was when it first came out. The second edition okay. came out in 2011. Yeah, okay, it's been, a, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah, 20 years or so. Yeah, I've played quite a bit of it. I love it, um, clearly. I have a, quite a tie to Lord of the Rings as a theme. My child is named after a character in Lord of the Rings. I took my honeymoon in Middle Earth, such New Zealand. And yeah. like That's right, you've been, you've been to Hobbiton. I've been to Hobbiton. Uh, no, it's a huge part of my life. It's my, you know, my favorite fantasy world of all time. Um, Jordan, what is your experience with the, the original board game of War of the Ring? I've played it. Four times, I think two times each with two different people. So we never got really deep into it, right. but, uh, you know, sampled it a little bit. So the biggest difference between the board game and the card game is the board game's a two-player game. A great two-player game. This is 
could be a two-player game, but is really designed to be a four-player, two-versus-two team game, which is not something you see a lot in our hobby. Team games are very rare, um, Excuse me. usually because they demand a certain player count, which is can often be, you know... Uh, kryptonite to selling games because people want to be able to play it with their significant other. They want to be able to play it when they have one friend over. They want to be able to play it when they have a couple friends over. Games like Deal with the Devil or things like that that are like, no, four only, go away, um, are hard to get published. And you know that makes sense to me. But the guy, uh, the, the person, the man who designed this is named Ian Brody. And Ian has quite a... Uh, uh, quite the accolades when it comes to team-based games. He, I think, has designed the only team-based game that we as a group really liked ever, which is Quartermaster General. Right, I, lo- I love. We love it. That's a six-person, three-versus-three card-based World War II game that we became obsessed with a few years back and thought was just fantastic. Um, like, six is a tough number. Yeah. But, like, it was so much fun to play, incredibly accessible, like it's not super ten complicated minute ten minute mechanisms tops. at all. Play a card, draw a card. Card driven. Like you think World War. Like it does have a map though in in Quartermaster General. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, this but everybody's got a deck. Yeah. They've got the Germany deck, the Italy deck, the Japan deck, the USA deck, and you got to sort of know your deck and things like that. But the the game isn't just about like playing your own cards correctly. Right. The the game absolutely rewards you for coordinating with your allies. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent. Right. And, yeah. and, and like that's where a lot of the, the fun is, is can you as, as the situation is constantly changing, can you play cards that are going to set up your allies to do amazing things? Yeah, I'd be curious to try that. There are a bunch of different ones, too, right? There's oh, I think there's yeah. like dozens. Got a lot of expansions and different yeah. themes, and they even did a second version of Quartermaster General. Um, but so it's very rare that in our hobby we get a the card game or the dice game mm-hmm. that matters that actually is a worthy addition to the franchise. I can't think of any that I actually like. I've played a lot. Uh, Castles of Burgundy, the card game. Great the card game. Uh, Race for the Galaxy, the dice game. You know, I mean, like, I've tried them all. They're all fine. I like Roll for the Galaxy. I think that's, uh, of those, I'd say that's the best of the card game, the dice game. But usually... But hold on. On, on that point, remember that Race for the Galaxy is... The card game. Of... Puerto Rico, of Puerto Rico, or of uh, uh, San Juan, right? Isn't that the well? San Juan was like they the were they were trying version. to do a card game version right. of Puerto Rico, and right. both San Juan and Race for the Gal- Race for the Galaxy like lost the competition, yeah, Tom Lehman lost whatever. The, but it was yeah. clearly awesome, and so then it got rethemed right. as a space thing. And that's there's no there's no Race for the Galaxy. But anyway, that right. like that's to me like the most successful example of the card game of a board game. Right. Is but those race. are usually games wherein the experiences giving you a different flavor of the same feel of the game, right? This doesn't... I've played War of the Ring, the board game, a lot. This is got, this could just be called Lord of the Rings team card. It just, like, this isn't giving me the feel of that game at all. In terms of mechanics, in terms of... I guess in terms of, like, by the end of it, the epic story has unfolded in an interesting way that is close to the novel, but has gone its own interesting path. But this to me completely stands on its own. Like do not let the, what I'm saying is do not let the, yeah, this the card game, the what dice you're describing game. is not a bad thing at all. No. Cause what it, it does do kind of maybe jumping ahead a little bit is like, it does completely recreate a Lord of the Rings narrative that you would be familiar with, but is also completely, you know, like there's a lot of freedom for it to change. Yeah. You are not, you know, completely mirroring the beats of the books or the movies. Right. You, but these but are still the familiar end, 
it feels like an epic battle between good and evil, and uh, it is it is it does give you that sense. So it, I think to me this is the best sort of the card game iteration of a thing I've ever seen, and and to the point where it didn't need to be to me. Like this could have just been its own thing. Like they didn't need the IP of the War of the Ring, which is a prestigious. It needed the Lord of the Rings IP. It didn't right. need the War of the Ring. That's IP. what right. I'm getting right. Right. exactly. So for people who don't know much about this game, uh, the designers Ian Brody, artist Antonio DeLuca, John Hodge. John Howe, Matteo Maki, and a bunch of other famous Lord of the Rings artists right. and people like that. Who have done These are classic. Lord, a lot of those are classic Lord of the Rings this artists. Is, this is not IP or art from the movies. This is original you know, IP from the novels and the books and, and calendars and, and, calendars and, and all, all the things, things throughout the ages. Yeah. And, it's and gorgeous. Like War of the Ring. Right. And War of the Ring. Yeah. yeah. And it's gorgeous artwork. But there's actually a lot of original artwork in this right. that isn't in War of the Ring. There is a couple of recycled pieces, but a lot of it is new and beautiful. It's like what John Howe and Alan Lee are the big... Lord of the Rings illustrators from yes. dec- you know, over decades, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, it is uh, best at four, definitely. Plays at two, plays at three. There's even a solo variant. Um, and just announced two days ago, the next expansion, War of the Ring, the card game Against the Shadow, coming out this fall, solo and co-op only. This is not an addition to the card game. Uh, this is a new expansion that actually gives you different modes to play it in that does not affect the game you could buy right now. It's almost just a new version you could play by yourself or as a co-op. Jordan, you are new to the podcast. Give us a little breakdown of how this game plays, what it is. Sure. So in the four-player game, uh, each player will have a deck that has only specific factions in it. Uh, so on the Free People's team, there will be one player that has the Dunedin and the Elves, and on the other, Free People's player will just have um, Rohan, the Wizards, the Hobbits, some other cards like that. But there's like a Frodo, essentially like there's a Frodo character, there's a player, Frodo deck. right? there's a Sauron player, there's a Saruman player, and the, the Dunedain are Strat- Elves and Aragorn's, Aragorn's kind of deck. like your, your ultimate right. hero there, yeah. So these are sort of uh, suits in, in cards in a certain way. Right. And the players will be playing those cards out to battlefields and paths, which are locations in the, in the center of the table that they're trying to control. And the locations are other cards. They're just sort of large tarot size cards. There's no board here. This is an entire game that can be stored in deck boxes, basically. Right, right. And this game does strip out all the geography, essentially, of War of the Ring in favor of those cards. And so you'll be playing to these these battlefields and these paths. They take different symbols. So armies can play to battlefields. Characters can play to both battlefields and paths. The paths follow the story of Frodo. And then the battlefields are sort of the story of the armies fighting over these locations. And both both teams will be trying to have one more point on each of these locations to score them. The free peoples can score whatever the points are on the battlefield and the path. But the shadow player has an opportunity to really load up on what's called corruption on Frodo by putting a bunch of cards on the path and winning by a lot. And they get sort of the difference uh, in terms of points. And so that's one special. They have a high ceiling. Very high ceiling. Right. Um, so yeah. we're constantly, we're kind of like constantly fighting a series of running fights. Right. And like, I guess theoretically there could be nine rounds to this game because we have like the path, it comes over nine stages. There's three options of every level of the path, but we're almost always fighting a battlefield and a path and we're kind of committing cards. And there's a big, there's a nice tension in this game between kind of like playing cards to reserve, which are in front of you, yeah. which can kind of like help build your engine. You don't commit them immediately to a battle versus times where you play cards directly from your hand into into the fight. And like right. the the way these cards work, like could in a sense could not be simpler. 
Because unlike something like Magic the Gathering, whereas if I want to play a certain card, I've got to have one red mana and then two colorless or something like this. Right. The cost in this game is if I want to play a card, I play the card and I reserve slash discard, same thing, a card from my hand. That's the cost of every single card of right. the game. Which is exactly how Marvel Champions works, which is a really popular LCG now. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and you were saying Flesh and Blood also works like that, where you're paying for a card by discarding a card from your hand right although flesh and blood cards have different costs right and you can discard them for different amounts right now I, <laughs> so wrong so well, no 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 <laughs> so people who uh might not know very much about this game i think the simplest way to compare it is to think of it as a very complicated version of marvel snap or uh uh smash up which smash is another up, yeah. game that works like that where mm. you're basically you have these cards that are going sideways on the table and you're playing cards to either side of it, counting up the strength. So these are like lanes, right? It's a good point. These are like lanes counting up strength in each round and whoever blinks first and ends the round kind of like will score those. But it's not as simplistic as that because there is a a huge amount of card knowledge that comes into it. There's ways of refighting battles, which is very fun and thematic. You think Minas Tirith is over. You think you've gotten the big three points off of that. There are everybody, as we learned in this game, has a card in their hand that can re-litigate. Uh, refight Yeah, the refight Minas Tirith. No, sorry, you lose those three points. We're fighting them again. Oh, did you already kill all your best Minas Tirith characters? That was a mistake. We've, we're still going to fight that three more times. You, sort of, you blew your load a little early on that one. Um, and so there is a huge amount of card knowledge, which reminds me a lot of some of the great game experiences we've had with, with Game of Thrones, the card game. And sort of these competitive card games, which I adore and right. love. And I'm always, and anybody who loves Netrunner or Arkham Horror or Game of Thrones or even Magic the Gathering, these these players are always looking for the board game version of that. I'm just going to say this is as close as I've ever seen a game come to that experience of, I've got this awesome hand of cards. How can I make lemonade out of these lemons? How can I play the mind games? How can I tutor at my deck and cycle my deck and get the cards I want and build my engine and build my Voltron and all these concepts that you have for these LCGs and, and competitive card games that you're used to. Those all come into play in this game and are, are useful skills and tools that you will use in order to work with a partner, which is also a really fun aspect that you rarely get in these kind of competitive card games where it's you and another person battling out another team. It just does so many fun things right in that space that I feel like is so hard to crack as a single box one-time purchase, like with a ton of replayability. Right. And not only what are my pieces in my deck that I need to get out for this specific situation, but what are Trey's pieces? What are Matt's pieces that I need to combat that I need to be thinking about ahead of time? And when you have that card knowledge, the game really elevates to another level. Yeah. This game, that said, like they never ask you to construct a deck here. Right. The decks are the deck. Yep. Now, as you play though, you kind of winnow, that's actually a, mechanism in here but you play cards things get thin certain cards get eliminated you play certain cards to the board so the the character of your deck changes as you go what i would say though is like this is starting to sound complicated Mm -hmm. it's really not i found that like my first play of this was pretty straightforward and it it did the good thing of like i played my first play of this game i was having meaty decisions but i also wasn't completely paralyzed by them and having played the game through the first time i was like oh i'm now i'm starting to appreciate this or oh if i had to do it again i would have done this that oh now i finally see how i'm supposed to use Gollum because i really didn't see why Gollum was good the first time Gollum was in my hand but now i kind of oh i see what you do with with Gollum. and so um first time i played this 
it was a fantastic experience. Like it was a very strong nerve experience that was not uh, intimidating at all, even in a loss. Fifteen minute teach? Would you say not not long? Yeah, not yeah, not not too bad. I mean, you kind of like suss a few things out as as you go. You know, some of the differences between paths and battlegrounds and what it means play to reserve. But I think this is a pretty accessible game that gets deeper for you every time you play it. Well, I I, I think it has a great first game. Mm-hmm. But I, I also think an experienced team will destroy yes, a absolutely, new player. Absolutely. Will absolutely. just yeah. destroy, like it will just, it'll be over so fast. And this game has a mercy mechanism in it, where if any team is up by 10 at the end of a round, the game instantly ends, which if you have two good players, and as, I mean, God forbid they're the free people, that game's over round three. Like that's going to be over really quickly. So uh, and, and it's I, not just even a mercy thing, though. It actually had, had the knockout is a implicit threat that the free peoples have. Like, right. I don't think Mortar can really, in, at least not in the first half of the game, no. there's no knockouts no. for the shadow players. But I think it could even have a good, actually, it's a good learning curve because you give the free people players to the newer players and you tell them, if you don't win by round five, you will, you will lose. <laughs> you will, well, but try to win by round five. Like, go, you know, you, you see if you, like, that's your goal. Otherwise, you won't have the tools and the knowledge to win the, la, the you know, the back back nine of the game. Right. But, um, go, you know, do, do really push hard on the, on the first five rounds. And I think that's actually a really good sort of learning mechanism. It's a fantastic rule because it seemed like a lot of the discussions and, like, the discussions in this game are really rich. Yeah. You're not head down. You're often talking with your partner I found I found in the, in the last game for example that we played uh, I was having to be very uh, guarded in what when I talked to my partner yeah. like there's plenty of times where I was not going to say something to you until Jordan's turn right. was complete because I need him to commit to something and right. then I say okay I think we should commit to this particular battleground I can bring a lot to it uh, it makes a lot of richness in the conversations but I was going to say one of the things that's especially rich of this, what you call the mercy rule, the win by 10 rule, is that a lot of times we have to be like, you know what, we're getting too close to getting knocked out. Right. We have to, our backs are against the wall. We have to fight some fights that we may not want to fight just so that we can avoid this, Losing. even because, right. so that we're then set up for a strong finish. And like, again, that's like, some great social interaction and the, in the and game. this game deals with that the secret information really well. The rule is just very simple. Anything you say to your partner has to be heard by everybody at the table, which is just a good way to deal with. Right, this. and you can't uh, identify specific cards in your hand. I think it's right. Like, you're like, not allowed to say specific cards you have in your hand, but otherwise, basically, but it's, it's legit just, to say, can you play to this yeah, path? Can, and you can, can say you, yes or no. Yeah, and, can you win this? Can I, you know? I, I can't help very much. I can help a little. You know, things like that. But it, it's a very simple. Like we haven't had any issues of like having a police of like, oh, you can really can't say that. Like, uh, I don't think that hasn't come up. I don't think it would matter because, uh, you know, th- it, that would only really help if one team knew the cards better than the other. Otherwise, if, even if I say, like, do you have Aragorn in your hand? The other team knows that, too, now. Like, right. you know, now, they, now they're now they not playing certain things. Like That's right. It wouldn't break it no. if that rule were violated. I no, think, not right? at all. Um, what do you – let's talk about our experiences playing the game so far. So I've played it – uh, I don't know, seven or eight times by now. Um, I've played it two player a couple times. I've played the solo variant that you can find on BGG, mostly just to get comfortable with the cards and sort of card knowledge is a huge part of this game. Like yeah. you really, not only do you have to know what's in your deck, you have to know what's in your partner's deck. You have to know what's in each your of the four decks. decks plays differently. Yes. And has not completely cool. differently, but there's, there's nice quirks yeah, between they, them. They have a different style and even a different tempo and different ways of, of, of sort of getting there. Everybody sort of has an engine they're trying to get going. Um, and overall, the teams play a little differently too. The free people are about rushing, burning down, getting in there quick, trying to trying to force uh, 
you know, uh, force the shadow to do things because the shadow gets really strong as the game goes on. They have, it takes them a while to build up their engine. And towards the end of the game, a lot of the uh, path cards are really beneficial towards them. And by then, they've maybe if they've got enough engine, it can be really hard for the free people to you know overcome that. But the free people have a really strong beginning, and they could actually if, you know, play really heavily, could win the game early and, and get that 10-point lead. Like, it's not uncommon for, for by round three or four, free people to be up nine points, you know, eight, nine points, and be really threatening the end of the game and forcing the shadow player to start sacrificing pieces of their engine in order to stave off that sort of what you were talking about a second ago. And that's a really fun balance that I think, um, I you know, we, we, we can't yet say, like, this game is perfectly balanced, but no, I, it's definitely... I have I'm, no idea. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not worried about it right no, now. No, no, no. Right. Yeah, we have, I haven't seen any card that feels unfair. I haven't seen anything that feels... It, I haven't seen any mistakes, like, clear mistakes that I would say have made by the, you know, design team or the playtesters or what. It feels so far like... I think, like, in many games like this... Uh, as you're experiencing the game, you might feel like the free people are stronger in your first couple of games because they can push a victory. And, you know, the shadow player doesn't yet really understand how to play the long game. How to leverage to, their Nazgul. And right. Exactly. How to slow down and do what they need to do. So, you know, it, but that's also good. You want a game like this that, that's easier to play from one half. And it's possible that people who played it a million times could say like, well, once you have two balanced teams, it really the shadow player is over, you know, it can be really, who, who knows? knows? Who, who knows? knows? Yeah, we're not there yet. But as of right now, it feels... I'm excited to take either side. And once you sort of get the tempo of the game down and know like, okay, you should feel, you should feel like the shadow should feel like they're losing at the beginning and the free people should lose, like feel like they're losing in the end, but it's still anyone's game. Like in not today's game, but the game before uh, last week, we had a game where round nine, which is the final round of the game. It was zero to zero tied score, like not zero to zero, but we, we had the same scores. And it went was, to the wire. Yeah, right, and that was right. really exciting. And then yeah. and the three people won by two points in that one. Um, <laughs> and it felt really fair and it felt really balanced. It was like, oh, this is the sort of the tempo that you would experience that you would expect after a certain number of plays of this. It's like, oh wow, we all did the right things going to the last round. Good luck. Yeah. Tempo is such a huge part of this game. Not just the free people are strong at the beginning and evil is strong at the end, but the turn to turn tempo. How many cards am I going to play this turn? How many are going to save? How much card draw do I have coming to me next turn? And the last game we played, the free people kind of ran out of steam around round seven, round eight, yeah. and just didn't yeah, have enough did. card draw. Yeah, yeah did they not did. play the tempo <laughs> properly and just fell flat on our faces. And it's great that the game allows you to do that. You really have to sort of focus in on how do I spend these resources you know, adequately to a either have an impact and not waste everything or B, you know, to conserve and, and preserve my position for later. One of the things I love about this game is that it has narratively embraced the IP in a way that is very well done and completely kind of like consistent with the roles you have, especially on the free people side, you have these characters that we kind of know and love from the books and movies and they have asymmetrical powers that, kind of fit with who they are. For example, in our game that we just played, you were able to get Galadriel out early right. with like her proper items where she was like a fully operational Galadriel. Her mirror, yeah. She had her mirror. She didn't, she didn't have her, you know. I had a ring in my hand, but I didn't play it. Didn't yeah. play the ring. Yeah. But this meant that you, you had, um, like you may not have appreciated, I, I think you did, but like a lot of the things I was doing as the Mordor players, I've got these Nazgul and I can attack the free people's hands. 
mm-hmm. I can often force people to forsake, which is a mechanism here. It's just like you have to get rid of a card. You have the option of just getting it rid of it and out of the game from yeah. the top of your deck. It can be from your hand. It can be a, a card that you've played. But like once you got your Mirror of Galadriel down, that allowed you to always look at the top card in your deck. So that actually provided a lot of protection against like what I wanted to do. You may not have been aware, but it's like once you got that mirror down, I was like, ah, well, I really don't want to be forsaking anymore because, you know, and, and I think there's plenty of games where Galadriel is not important at all. Right. But in this one, it was a early Galadriel, you know, game, and that gave you a lot of control over your hand, I think, was kind of the way, it, like, she's not overtly powerful the way some of the big bombs, which is just like, you draw an extra card each round, which right. in this kind of game is is as engine as the game gets. Yeah. But it she gave it a certain flair. Yeah, and it felt like oh, we we're playing against Galadriel here, and in fact, in our game, like we didn't see Aragorn till the end, and when we did see Aragorn, he was played to the board and died immediately. I mean, he was yeah. in a good cause, right? But this was but ineffective. <laughs> a good cause, but ineffective. Well, and that's one of the fun decision points of this game is you have these resources, which are your powerful cards, and they can be used multiple times to do cool things, but they also are there to be lost forever in the most important moments in order to really seal victories or get important things. Right. And like when to use those, when to not, the timing of that is a huge, when are you going to commit Gandalf? Uh, yeah. I've got my witch King in reserve. It's, it's doing good things for me, but I'm at some point he's going to go in. Yeah. Right. That and that's a mechanic is, that I think it, it's true of both teams, but it feels more potent on the free people side. Like when you lose a character, they're usually gone forever. You're Nazgul, right. for instance. You can cycle them and I get got most nine of them. And get them, <laughs> yeah. get them right back. And in that way, it actually feels like War of the Ring, the board game. Right. Because totally. the, the all the free people's troops, once they're dead, they're never coming back, right? And the, the evil side in that game can continually generate more and more troops. Well, yeah. we had a fight early in the game that was... It wasn't exactly a draw, but we had a kind of a big one where we committed a lot of forces. But it felt like as the shadow team, you you and I, Matt, um, like it didn't end up resulting in a lot of points, but we did kill a lot of characters. And it was like, okay, that was well, well done because we've eliminated certain tools from the free people's arsenal. Here, yeah, I think that know? was a good trade for you. It was. Yeah, absolutely. Also, there's a really cool mechanic in the game where when you take a card from your hand and you put it on the table, you get to say, Meach back on the menu, boys, which isn't in the rules. But in fact, you, you cannot it's implicit. You cannot play without saying that every time you put a cool card down. So that I really love that they added that into the game. That's really neat. I think that it was voted like the, uh, the most popular line from really? the books. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, clearly we all like this game. I, I, will, I, I will say that... Uh, this game arrived. I pre-ordered it because I kind of pre-order everything that has it's Lord beautiful. of the Rings in the title. Such a beautiful the game. cards are gorgeous, but I wasn't that hyped on it when it came. I was like team-based, like card game version of a board game that I never play because it takes forever. Like, uh, like wouldn't I just rather make the day and play that game? And like, I just wasn't that hyped for it. And then you had played it, and you were kind of like, "That's pretty good, Matt." And yeah. like, I got I was sort of hyped, but I still was like, "It'll be fine. It'll be fine." It'll just be, you know. So what point did you buy the deluxe edition then? Or you- no, no, no. I, 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 so it's not the deluxe edition. I just have these tins that come with sleeves. Um, and I, I have the same tins already for the War of the Ring board game. And so I felt like I had to have them also for this. Okay. Um, but you've got all the custom card sleeves and stuff, which actually does make the game feel nicer yeah, and higher they're not custom higher. cards leaves they're just they're, they're not like they don't have like pretty art on them or anything but they're they're, just, they're it's hard to get tarot card sleeves that's right that's right. what i mean though. and you need those for um the battlegrounds and stuff like that i'd like to sleeve cards that get shuffled a lot but um 
But anyway, the, you know, this was not a game I was hyped for. And the first time I played it, I had one of those experiences where I was like, oh no, this is, this is awesome. I think this is really interesting. And then every, every play I've had of it, it opened up a bit more. And I, I think it's a pretty special game. I think it's like, I think it's a lot better than the war of the ring. The card game has any business being. Like it totally stands on its own as like a really. Interesting I would be curious about how this came about. Like, did did Ares or, or whatever get the IP and say like, okay, who's the right person to make this game? Yeah. Looking at Quartermaster General and saying, okay, Ian Brody. Who decided to make it a team game? Like, that's awesome. I guess so. Right. I mean, yeah. it seems so in, in incorporated and innate in what it's doing. Um, that and it's the essential part. It's what's so rich, rich about it. But it's, it was the right decision. I can't yeah. imagine it as a two player. Like two player seems so limited compared to what the four is. Yeah. It also makes me want to go play Quartermaster General again with six. Yeah, totally. Now the team games are having a little bit of a moment as well. Like we we talked about this. Um, Guards of Atlantis two is obviously like a very popular team game right now. That's two on two, three versus three. That was very novel to me when you first introduced me to that. It's like oh shit, team game. Like, yeah. That's we never play those cerebria is a Cerebria. game that i played once and i thought was fine a little too heavy for what it was la familia i just got la familia from capstone which we haven't played yet which is also a two versus two worker placement game so it's just interesting that there's a bunch of team games out right now right and it's not because i'm just happening to notice them it's that i just don't remember there ever being a team game for like the last 10 years that anybody talked about other than cerebria um you know that was a that was you know not just a filler or something that wasn't like teach you yeah, another one that just came out is the Defense of Procyon Three, which is a Euroe War game, another Euroe War game team game. Okay, by David Turksey. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. okay. check that out. Now, I I just think it's cool because the minute you have a team game, it instantly has an innate level of interactivity to it that you don't normally get from a you know you know a one v one v one v one you know Euro or whatever. It just automatically adds a level of like. Oh, like you're looking, I don't know, just you're looking around the table at your partner, you're looking at your enemies, you're just trying to figure out how, like it's just, it instantly gives this cool, almost like hidden role feel to it a little bit where it's like, you're trying to be sneaky. Like I remember even sort of showing Trey when you guys were looking away at one point, like pointing to a card, like you kind of get moments. I don't know if that actually breaks a rule. <laughs> I think that might break a rule. Well, uh, no, there, but there is a lot, there was a lot of timing issues of cards that we've played right. to reserve. And it's kind of like, when do you pop them? Right. And we were making a lot of decisions about, okay, here we're heavily committing right now and, and getting that, that timing down. And for yeah. example, you'd played a few cards where you're going to bring certain battlefields back into play. Mm -hmm. And like, that's a tough question of like, what's the, right time to do it and we were kind of like at one point we did it, it was like i don't know if this is the right time but we're doing it yeah and and that felt fine yeah yeah i think the fact that this is a team game really allows the factions to be more fleshed out because you can have a deck that focuses on just the elves and the dunedin and they can focus on those synergies whereas in the two-player game you shuffle all the cards together and just draw from there and you don't get as many of the synergies right mm -hmm. but i think the teamwork in this game is really just how much do we want to commit on this, yeah. right? Do we really want to go heavy? Do we not want to go heavy? There's nothing in this game that you must always have a team member help yeah. you with. You don't feel accomplish. quarterbacked. Right. You feel like you have your own thing you're doing, but you also don't want, you don't want to mess up your teammates' plans. More than you want their help, you don't want to, like, are you going all in on this? Because I, I, I won't, if you will. Like, and it's, I can save this. No, 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 you go, you go. Okay, you know, it's-, it's But these conversations in in face of the enemy are often yeah. interesting. The thing I, I, I haven't seen yet that I, 
I, I want to keep playing this game. But for example, I know part of the richness of the free peoples is that the elves can play items on the hobbits. Yes, that's a lot true. of times, and like I still haven't really. Those are two seen different that. teammates. Yeah, they, they're playing across from each other. But for example, like how do you at some point like is this a thing that's actually hard to coordinate? But you need to, which is there's times where I think the hobbits need to commit a bunch of hobbits to a particular battleground, and then the elves are going to play Lembus Bread on them, which actually um, eliminates a lot of corruption. And so, like, that actually right. is, like, a team play right. that you actually want to be building towards that I still haven't seen yet. But I know that that's in the arsenal of the yeah. free players. And I, I think there's a few of those like that. And I think one of the things that we did well in our game, whether it was intentional or not, is you were able to bring battlefields into play back into play when i was in position to actually win them right right yeah. like that's the kind of strong interactions like there's a right time and a wrong time on these i was read and i was geared up and ready to go yeah. to take advantage of the timing of i think that's actions. a lot how shadow plays is sort of i set them up you knock them down like you've got this huge arsenal there and i've got a bag of tricks and you don't really and then there are rounds there's battlefields where like i can't touch any of these yeah yeah. Totally. And there's also like, I think there's a passing mechanism that's really fun in this game where you can't pass and be out of the round until you've played a certain amount of cards unless both of your enemies have more cards than you. And so there's this really fun sort of push and pull of when you're going to be out, when you're not. And then also you can pass at any time and come back in. <laughs> you pass five times and right. then come back and in. And that's yeah. really fun because you can be, because you can just lie. You can just say like, I can't, I can't help at all with this tray. Like I, I, uh, I'm sorry, I'm out. And the other team is like, all right, so let's just use our things on other stuff. And we haven't really had this moment yet, but I can imagine imagine it being a very fun moment of like, like all of a sudden it comes back to me and it's like, Matt, everybody pass around. No, actually I, I lied. I have a huge bomb, like boom, like, and do some awesome stuff. And the other team and thought you were out. And like, there's just, you know, there's really fun plays like that. Yeah, that's that's another great aspect of tempo. Cause it's so much forced play. Oftentimes mm-hmm. it gets to your turn. And you're like, Oh, I, have yeah, I don't to want to play these. I now. really yeah. don't want to. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to save them, but I can't, I have to get down to my, to my carry limit. over limit. It's called. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, well, any final thoughts? Anybody else want to say anything about this game? Um, oh, this is but- a super strong recommend. Like, I can't yeah. think of a Lord of the Rings game that I would rather play. Like, I think this is this is the Lord of the Rings game. It's forty dollars, and let's talk about the replayability. And, and so they just announced a new expansion, uh, as I said, coming out in the fall. It is co-op and solo only, which means. Not that they're saying that the base game is done. I'm sure they, if it's successful, they it's will different. release more. But they are not saying we need an immediate patch to this. But they're not saying we've gotten all this word of balance problems. They are saying, no, 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 we're not going to mess with this game. Like, we, 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 we worked really hard on this. It works. Mm-hmm. This is not a six-month later a great card patch. It's they're, a great system. Yeah, like, I really like the confidence they're having in that, of just being like, no, 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 we're giving you more cards, but it's for a completely new mode. You still have a lot of work left to do in these four decks we gave you. There's a lot to explore. Take a couple of years. This will like, be a different experience. Yeah, they're saying this is not an LCG. This is not a game that you're going to have to buy new cards for to, to keep it interesting and fun. They're, you know, they're announcing right and away. And it would like, be, it would be really hard to actually add cards to these decks. Yeah. We were talking about that. Like, what would you even do? Because they're also balanced. I, I think the only thing that I, th- I mean, my guess would be that they'll either come up. I think they'll just come up with four new decks and you have to yeah. play those four decks against each other. Something. Like it'll be the Hobbit four decks or I don't know, whatever. It's so uh, such a really important part of this game is like, you are going to cycle through your decks at least twice, maybe three times, maybe maybe four times. Yeah, yeah this uh, is not a go through your depending deck. Depending on how, you, how yeah. you play. So if your deck got fatter, 
that would actually create a lot of design problems. Agreed. Well, yeah. and they're so balanced around each other. They're not just balanced around your own deck. They're balanced around your partner's deck and then your enemy's two decks. And like, you can tell a ton of work went into this to give everybody the tools they need to combat everybody, but not make it feel like a zero sum effort where there really is. Now it just comes down to brinksmanship and, you know, uh, mind games and timing and tempo and actual things that you have to learn over time, as opposed to just like, well, if I luck, there's, there's also like very few luck mechanics in the game. There's very few, there are moments where you could whiff, but mm-hmm. It's that's right. There's, there's some some cards where you like draw seven and get there's two. There's no remove a random card from your opponent's hand. There's no right, like show me yeah, your yeah. hand. I pick one out, and then the whole game falls. And in fact, they protect the, the most important cards exactly. that can't be kind of knocked they, out that way. The, the game is really rewarding knowledge, not luck. Like they, they, the game wants you to right. get better at it. As but it doesn't feel bad. Luck. Like that knowledge that you're talking about. Some of it, it doesn't feel bad your first time through. Right. You know, like for example. Um, Okay, so I was playing the Mortar player. I've got Grand, who's an attack three, which is as powerful as Huge. any card yeah. gets in the in the in the game. So there's a big battering ram. If you remember this from the movies, the kind of wolf head shaped battering ram, yeah, and it feels like, oh, this is a winner. Yeah, this is this card's going to win win a battle. But I know, having played it now, you've got a three defense gates of Minas Tirith card. Yeah, that's right. Kind of thing that it's like here's a direct counter. Yeah. I also know that the um, the Rohan team. Uh, has cut cards like uh, Eowyn yeah. when played directly to a a battleground can just kill an Asgul right? Just by playing it, playing it there. Yeah. And so, like, that's a card you. That's a tough balance of like, how long can I hold on to Eowyn so that when I do play her, she's going to be this massive swing. Right. Well, that happened to me today where I, I played a huge three attack Isengard card and then uh, Paul played an Ent that says remove an Isengard player from this battleground and it was just like, well, that was... Right, mind. right. Treebeard's okay. a big bomb yeah, in, a bomb. in when played at the right right time. And again, like so incredibly narratively driven yeah. if you remember, like that's exactly right. what Treebeard... It doesn't feel cheap at all. Like there's not, not... Not every card has a counter like that, but there are some big ones that do and it's about like how can I force my opponent to play that at the wrong time? Or make them play it and then oh by the way we're fighting that battle again oh you don't have that card now oh that's a shame i still have mine you know like that's mm-hmm. that's really fun and those are rich choices. yeah this is a this is a super strong recommend for me i think anybody who's a lord of the rings fan should get this is this is not heavy no it's got a lot of depth but it's all it's fun to discover yeah yeah it's very deep i think when i play an asymmetric game i'm always looking at a faction after playing it and thinking do i want to play this one again or do i want to play something else and if yeah. i want to play something else the game doesn't have that much room to explore. I want to try each of the factions once or twice and I'm done. In this game, I want to play the same faction I just played. I want to play every other faction five more times. You want to master. And master each of them. Yeah. And really, I, you know. A gauge I often use to find out if a game has, you know, interesting choices or longevity is often I'll go to the strategy section on BGG and see how many threads there are and how many people have ideas. And, and this game has been out for a couple months and there's 17 threads on BGG. And they're just getting that going. Are just strategy. Yeah. And it, everybody has their own take on it. Like, and you know, you'll go to a Euro that's about for four years and there's one strategy article or something. So that's always a good sign to me that like, even if it's not balanced or what people are still really in there. There's, there's excited a, to talk about excited strategy to talk and, about it and figure it out and very confident in, in even their wrong opinions or you know just people are like coming to it with ideas and to me that that's always a really good sign for a you know a, a strategy and tactics game like this agreed um well that is war of the ring by ian brody and aries games that is obviously a strong recommend from all of us a big sort of surprise game um 
that sort of takes us to the end of our podcast. Jordan, I had one question for you though. Yeah, so absolutely. If, if you, you know, for people who want to sort of get to know you as a new member of this podcast, can you tell us like when you think when someone asks you what your favorite game or games are, what comes to mind and why? Right now it's Guards of Atlantis 2, which is another team game that just came out. That's the one that comes jumps first to mind. Mm. I think it's an You just want to play the hell out of that. I just want to keep playing. Yeah. yeah. Played it once earlier this week. There's so much depth and the game is so simple. You have five cards in your hand, yeah. but the possibilities are endless. Very social. Very social. Very you know, interactive. The, yeah. the teamwork is really strong. Like you and I need to do this together or we're not going to do it at all. Um, do you like I, it? I, I immediately loved that game. You didn't necessarily love your first play. I, 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 I think I played it against mostly players who had played it a bunch and I felt a little like, okay, I need, they knew how to counter you some more time. Yeah. 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 Like it just, every time I did something, everybody, like I just kept joking that people were playing nope cards on me Mm -hmm. and I just got getting constantly hit with nope cards. Oh, I'm going to build up to this cool thing. And you played a nope card and now I don't get to do it. So I had that moment of like, I just want to be left alone with this game for a couple of weeks and like try to get my bearings before everybody nopes me to death because <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I just wasn't, I was just feeling uh, like I didn't have any choices to make. Yeah. Yeah. That's hugely possible in that game and the skill ceiling is just so high. But if you sort of push through that sort of early first few yeah. plays, uh, I think it's really, it was enough, a lot of for, it was enough for me to back yeah. it a couple of weeks ago when they did a reprinting of it. I, I could see that. And, and also it was funny, like we had a game day last week and we were, Jordan couldn't come because he was at a wedding and we were, it was the one game we kept being like, this would be the perfect game for this. Like we have, we have some new gamers, we have some experienced gamers, we have people who like Ameritrash games, we have people who like Euro games, like that's. It feels the- big also, like, yeah. like it feels like, oh, this is an event, we're playing three on yeah. three guards of Atlantis 2, like this is, this right. is going to generate some memories to kind of, in, you use Paul's It's one of those rare games that I think is, is a real crowd pleaser along a wide gamut of players that doesn't sort of make the Euro heavy gamers feel like they're, you know, being nice by playing this, you know, that actually feels like something meaty and interesting. And any game that where it's all about experience is fun because you want to keep playing it to get better, you know? And, and if you, and the idea of like, imp- I, I really like improving at something right. like that, that is a positive feeling for me. And this is definitely a game that's like the more like age of steam. Like that's the reason I keep wanting to play it is not to win it because I want to see that self-improvement. I want to know I'm getting better at it. Like that's, that's what I'm striving for. Right. And this game has that in spades, right? Yeah. That's the entire game is, can you improve? Can you get better? Uh, you know, how can I counter my opponents? How can I think about what they're thinking about? Um, yeah, it's, it's something special. And we had the joke that Jordan, Jordan was bringing it to every game night and it's very heavy. And he was carry this giant box and every week, and and every, we'd be like, so what should we play? And and we'd always joke like, well, Jordan's got Garden of Atlantis too, and nobody wants to play it. And it's this giant box of minis. And we're all like, thanks for bringing them, Jordan. And then like, all of a sudden we finally, things have changed. We finally gave it a shot and we're like, okay, he was, we were jerks to not bring that to the table earlier. He lugged (laughs) his like 30 pound box to the game night, like for months in a row. Yeah. But it was worth it in the end. Got you guys to try it, and I'm sure we'll be playing more of it going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, well, it's a pleasure having you here, Jordan. Um, are you are you active on our Discord at all? If people want to say hi, yeah, I am. Uh, Jay says yeah on the Discord. Jay says yeah, which is a little bit of a play on your name, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, say <laughs> say yeah, yeah, say yeah, say yeah. Got it. Push the button. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wait, do I do I know the ending preamble? Can I just do it off the dome? Um, You're not prepared. I wasn't prepared. I didn't prepare for this. You've been Uh, listening to Game Brain. (laughs) 
Produced and edited by Matthew Robinson, Trey Olson, Tom Donnelly, and Ben Mandelker. Find us uh, online uh, on Facebook, Twitter. Come to our Discord. Uh, Thanks to Edmar Peleg for doing our art. You can watch him at Kerberloni.com. Good. Uh, And that's it. Give us have a good time with your friends (laughs) or make friends playing games. You know, (laughs) that's what we do. I give you one box fart for that. Uh